It's that time again for the assault on your ears. We call Lower Dorks, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. I'm Aaron, and with me as always is Stavros. Tonight on our screens is episode... Um, hold, hold on, wait. Um, it's Those Old Scientists. What what season is this from again? I. Ugh. So we're actually uh, in episode seven of season two of Strange New Worlds. Wait, wait, what? That, that that's not lower decks. Scope creep. Scope creep. Stavros, <laughs> do I need to get the stay in your lane bat? Do I, Stavros? <laughs> you, you need to calm down. This is a crossover episode. Oh wait, a crossover between animated and live action? Jesus, this is gonna be Who Framed Roger Rabbit or Cool World? As long <laughs> as it's not Enchanted, I think we'll we'll be fine. No. No, it's not enchanted. <laughs> Let's talk about what we're drinking, shall we? Yeah, what the fuck <laughs> are we drinking, Stavros? I know, it's very green. Um, uh, this is, We're actually having an Orion Hurricane. Um, the uh, Twitter user, I'm sorry, X, the X user, the Scorch1701, uh, posted a recipe uh, uh, for this uh, that we're trying out. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in here. We've got some vodka, tequila, gin, white rum, dark rum, green curacao, melon liqueur, lime juice, and club soda. Sadly, there's no real Orion Deloc in here, but that's a fictional substance. So is that why I'm not tripping balls right now? <laughs> I think that must be. But, you know, if you have enough of this, you'll certainly trip and, you know, get get alcohol sick. I mean, that's just that's just a given. Funny enough, I could not get I could not find green curacao. I went to three liquor stores today and none of them uh, had it. In fact, one liquor store I went today didn't even know what curacao was. Funny story. Yeah. So like that, that sounds like a liquor store ran by people who don't like liquor. Um, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. But this drink is actually kind of surprisingly good. I thought it would be kind of an overwhelming liquor situation, but I don't know. I kind of, I doubled up on the melon liqueur just because I didn't have any curacao. Yeah. Um, but it's actually kind of good. I don't know if you want to take shots of this, but it's surprisingly manageable considering yeah. the... Yeah, like uh, I expected this to be absolutely awful, and it's not terrible. <laughs> I think they can definitely drop the dark rum, and it'll probably be a lot smoother. And maybe replace the white rum with like a spiced rum. And I think it would be a lot better. You're definitely missing out without the curacao. Fun fact, blue and green curacao are basically the same flavor. I mean, it's it's barely a difference between them. It's like the difference between eating like California versus Florida oranges. I mean, it's it's noticeable, mm. but it's the same basic flavor. That makes sense. Yes, yeah, so and now that I've shared my wisdom... I don't know where I was going with that. We should talk about yes, this episode. Yes, that's right. <laughs> We're here to talk about a show, not yeah. alcohol. <laughs> we can do both. You know, we should talk about the show, too. I'm a little too drunk to do both right now. Thank you. I know. This Orion Hurricane really messes you up if you let it. So, <laughs> uh, But this episode, I did not write a long synopsis, but suffice to say that uh, when Boimler and Mariner pass through a time portal, they appear in Captain Pike's time and basically almost destroy the timeline. Even though Boimler feels like it tri- he tries his best to destroy the timeline. But then you know what? They they learn some things along the way and Boimler and Mariner go back to their own time and everything's fine. That's the uh, episode synopsis. It's funny. Like, uh, I was surprised getting into the episode. I thought it was going to be like Boimler and Mariner together wind up in the past. 
but like the narrative. Yeah, it's a lot flow, of just Boimler solo, right? Yeah, there's there's a lot of just Boimler solo, and it is fantastic from beginning to end. Yeah. Let's talk about the quality because I think both of us going into this was were, were kind of unsure how well this would go. I mean, Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks are, I think, in my opinion, clearly the best of the modern treks. But even with that, we were still unsure. But I think it turned out surprisingly good. You know, when when they announced that it wasn't going to be like a Roger Rabbit situation, right. I was I was you know a little you know more on board for it. But then you know I had to take a step back and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. does that mean they're just going to do a cool world thing here? Because I'm not on board <laughs> for that. But <laughs> you know, it's funny. I in in the Ready Room episode about this, um, they went through a couple of the cast members. And Anson Mount, Captain Pike, w- totally thought it was going to be a Roger Rabbit situation, whereas uh, Melissa Navia, who plays Ortegas, thought it just would everyone would be animated. Yeah, but and they were both you know wrong. what? She did get to be animated <laughs> in the end. That's my That's dream. true. I just want to be animated. <laughs> Can somebody animate me? Hey, you do a great job on the uh, episode art. I think that's enough. Someone needs to just Aww, take that art and uh, animate it. <laughs> uh, but f- interesting thing about this episode, um, this is the first Strange New Worlds that Jonathan Frakes has directed, and he has directed like every Trek show since Next Gen. Well, and like, not even no, just Trek, but like he has a very prodigious history of directing. And Definitely. albeit I haven't seen a lot of his, you know, directing credits because you know, just it's so expansive. But like, yeah. man, he has done so much good stuff. And I'm going to focus on the Trek stuff because, you know, this, this podcast is about Star <laughs> yeah, Trek. supposedly that's what we're talking yeah, about right now. Supposedly. Yeah. But, you know, I still <laughs> hold up that, like, Insurrection is not a well-liked movie, right? Yeah. But I think it would have been, like, an even bigger flop without Frakes' direction. Like, there was so yeah. much awkward writing in that, so much poor story, mm. so many just awkward one-liners right that Mm. honestly if it wasn't for like his good pacing and good you know just scene setting first contact is often held up as one of the best star treks and yeah definitely honestly it's good dialogue's good pacing's good story's good it has some flaws but all of that set aside so much of the tension, so much of the drama is entirely in scene setting and pacing. And, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're dealing with great actors who have been working together for a long time. But, man, it's it's not just that movie. You can see it in everything Frakes does. He knows how to deliver a scene. Yeah. He's like the like the pro when it comes to Trek TV in particular now. I mean, he has that reputation that two takes Frakes... Uh, I mean, he knows what he's doing and knows what he wants. And I was, again, from the writer room episode, they kind of pitched it as like every episode of Stranger Worlds is like has its own flavor. And they approached this, or at least he did, like a comedy. And I mean, the writing is obviously yeah. that. But you can tell he his direction was clearly one of like a comedy versus the other Stranger Worlds episodes. And, he, and it definitely comes out that way. Yeah. And it's and so it funny, too, because there are like slides into drama all throughout it. And they yeah, are just absolutely. stellar. Those moments. <laughs> and, like, he uses, like, so... I, I, I don't know if this is Frakes. This could be the editors. This could be producers. This could be anybody involved. But he uses, sure. like, there's there's horror moments, right? They're not actual horror in the scene. But he uses horror tropes to comedic effect. And we'll talk about it later. But just yeah. 
such a fantastic, well put together. You know what? I'm I'm being an idiot now. Um, <laughs> take a step back. <laughs> ah, I'm fanboying too much. You know what? Fucking... When we have when we have a show about a, a show a podcast about a show, then these kinds of things are going to happen. Fucking Just the crew the of the Enterprise are going to you know talk about me behind my back and my <laughs> fucking constant fanboying. How do you feel about the sandwich of the caps? front and back caps of the episode being animated, but the the majority of the midsection being live action. Was that the way to go here? So when it started in the Lower Decks universe and everything was animated, fantastic. Loved it. And I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. And then when they translate through to the Strange New Worlds, that going live action really worked and i don't think it would have worked if they had remained with boimler and mariner being animated yeah there was there was no roger rabbiting this, yeah i don't think it would have been too too goofy and it's I just think. i don't know whether it was intentional or just sheer luck that the actors are close enough to their characters that it works well, both right probably. it's actually funny though when i was watching this i'm all like ah oh, man you know these actors, they just they seem too old to be playing the characters in live action. And then I had to take a step back, and I'm like, you know, Mariner actually has to be at least 30, right? Like, there's no way, yeah. like, despite her exuberance and, you know, her animated personality, she's not, uh, you know, a 20-year-old or a 19-year-old. <laughs> and no. it's all like, eh, you know, maybe they look just fine in their roles. Now that you mentioned it, let's talk more about how uh, Tawny Newsom and Jack Quaid work as the live-action Boimler and Mariner. Um, funny story, they mentioned in that Red Room episode, uh, Tawny says that they that, like very purposefully have left their ages, you know, un, you know, nebulous. They're kind of like 20s or 30s. But I guess in Trek, I mean, you, you obviously graduate, you know, officers graduate the academy into being ensigns, but it's not like there aren't like older ensigns and lieutenants yeah. in Starfleet. You know, they kind of make it work. There's been a number of like episodes where they've shown people who are accomplished in their own cultures and then they join yeah. Starfleet, right? That's Shax's story, right? Yeah. He was a Bajoran resistance fighter and he joined Starfleet after that. So he had to be older. I mean, albeit he could have been younger. Yeah. Because, you know, resistance fighters start young, but. Yeah. I mean, he's gray, right? I mean, and he's just. "Quote unquote," just a lieutenant. So yeah, but some people remain lieutenants like their happen. whole career. I mean, you know, alternate Picard from the uh, that's right, yeah, the worst the episode episodes. of TNG. Um, <laughs> oh, we just lost the whole rest of our audience. You know what? If they liked, <laughs> if they thought that episode was good and insightful, we don't need them. <laughs> Oh God! Uh, you know one thing is interesting is both uh, Tawny Newsom and Jack Quaid are really tall. Tawny Newsom I tweeted know. recently that she's five ten. Jack Quaid must be like the internet. I, I tried to Google this; and it's kind of unclear. He's got to be at least like six two, maybe taller. You know, it's super weird that we live in a world where we're googling people's heights. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what the fuck? Like that's some stalker <laughs> shit. But in the context of this. <laughs> it's great blocking staging and design where they always look short compared yeah. to the officers on board the enterprise 
Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, there. It's funny because if you really pay attention to some of those hallway scenes, you can just see just how giant they are. But you're right; like they they really make an effort to have them. Like there's that scene in the briefing room where they're pitching them about the uh, that metal in the NX Enterprise, and they're standing in front of them instead of sitting, just to <laughs> maybe make sure that the little height difference there is kind of disguised. Yeah, but it's funny because both uh, both Boimler and Mariner are shorter to compared to characters like Ransom on. Um, on, on lower decks. Yeah, so, and that that's you know. the whole point is to like play up the whole they're young and inexperienced. They're the junior officers. Yeah. So creating that yeah. height difference is a way of visually telling that story, which you do a lot more. Well, I mean, I guess you do it in all mediums, but it's harder to do on screen. Although, you know, right. modern filming techniques, modern uh, just, <laughs> you know, you can make a freaking hobbit out of a normal-sized human being. <laughs> That's right. It can be done. Uh, something else interesting. Um, Tony Newsom had mentioned that uh, he and she and McMahon had talked about how to make Mariner's hair look more like the show because they've obviously gone to great lengths to emulate the look of the show. Yes. Um, you know, from Lower Decks to Strange New Worlds and uh, curls was Tony Newsom's suggestion. And McMahon was like, of course, curls. So I, I, I don't know if she had curled her hair for that or if that's a wig in the, in the show. I'm not really super familiar with how Tony Houston usually looks. I mean, obviously not that, but they had, they, they want the curls root. And I think it, it's surprisingly congruous to the uh, animated version. Yeah. I definitely thought it worked really, really well. Yeah. It doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't exactly match or translate to the animated uh, show, but you know what? Most right, hairstyles yeah. don't, you can say the same thing about Boimler, right? They did yeah, a great totally. job at recreating his hair, but it's obviously not the hair he has when he's animated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you recall that when they first showed those like light, like costume, uh, like lower decks costumes at a recent con, Jack Quay just put on like a ridiculous, like wig, like a purple wig. Yeah. And at first I was like, wait, are they going to do that in lower decks? But no, they just, uh, I don't know. Was that a wig or did they dye his hair? I can't tell, but it's not, it's not like ridiculous. Yeah. Although I'll tell you what they did dye. His eyebrows. I don't know if you noticed that. One hundred percent purple yeah. eyebrows. Purple eyebrows. Yeah. So you know, so much for dyeing his hair. Unless he dyes his eyebrows yeah. as well. I mean, jeez, can you imagine? Yeah. I guess so. He must. He said he dyes it. So as upset as I am that that's uh, the canon. Yes, he dyes his eyebrows. Um, one other funny thing is, uh, Tony Newsom mentioned in this Ready Room episode again that. Uh, her rolled up sleeves in live action are not actually rolled up. They the sleeves just end there, and they added a little strip of fabric to make it look rolled up. Yeah, it's like a, just a little short sleeve costume that she's she's wearing there. It's kind of funny. Yeah, I that that fabric that their uniforms are made of would not look good rolled up. No, it would be much thicker than. Yeah, you would need <laughs> a like the only thing you can really roll up and have it look decent is really really light fabric, right? Uh, one detail that they got really, uh, really d- done really well, which you can see at least in the first sick bay scene with Boimler, is the underside of the boots. They've got the little deltas on. Yeah, them. I like, didn't know if you were like gonna pick show. up on that, but then I should have realized yeah. you and your weird shoe fetish. <laughs> this show, the, <laughs> this show has broken my brain. It's a, uh, I've got the uh, the stop motion going on. <laughs> but yeah, that was a, a cool little detail. It was. They put a lot of effort into the design of this episode. Totally. You know, I. And one interesting thing about this, so even back to the first promo shots of Jack Quaid and Tony Newsom as Boimler and Mariner, I always had thought that like the the black shoulders on Boimler on Jack Quaid just looked too low. 
And it's bugged me ever since the promo images. When the uh, show starts, I noticed it as well. But you know what? I think this is just a side effect of Jack Quaid being freakishly tall. Because the color, like in order to match the colors of the animated character, they have to go down that low. He just has like a freakishly long torso, I think is the problem here. You know, it's weird that you mentioned <laughs> no, am that. Am I crazy? No, because in all of the promo <laughs> shots, I had the same sensation. But most yeah. of the time when he's on screen, it actually looks fine. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. I think just like the the chest up, uh, I forget what you call that, like a portrait shot or something like yeah. that. Just when you can just see like the mid chest and up, yeah. it just looks weird, right? Because the proportion seems off. But then you look at his whole body and you're like, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. And honestly, most of the scenes, they're framed well enough to where you just, you don't notice it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think where I'm going with this is uh, Jack Quaid's too freaking tall. That's, uh, that's um, I think me and Jack Quaid are actually the same height, so thanks a lot. Man. <laughs> Appreciate your uh, vote of confidence there. I that makes me believe this even even more. Just putting that out there. Come Anything else track. you noticed about uh, Jack Quaid? <laughs> about Jack Quaid and Donnie Newsom? So not um, not so much in the show, right? Like, there's tons of awesome yeah. moments in the show, but one of the things I noticed is that. When they were, like, there's so many great moments, like, oh, that's Boimler to a T. It's even, like, the right body language. But, turns out that's not in the script. It's not directed. That was 100% Jack Quaid trying to be Boimler in live action. (laughs) Um, Which is just fantastic. He does such a great job. At some point they, in the Red Room episode, there, Tom Newsom and Jack Hay are just like, yeah, we just like threw everything we could in, and uh, if they didn't cut it, that's up to them. There's that one scene where Jack Quaid does the Boimler power walk away. <laughs> yeah. And it is like... <laughs> Amazing. That has got to be like the most uncomfortable walk in the world. He is so exaggerated. <laughs> and initially I was all like, I can't even imagine how many takes it took to get that. But it sounds like... <laughs> That was just something he did in that scene. Yeah. And, and Frakes loved it. Yeah. He was like, yeah, keep it in. <laughs> it's such a thing that's like in the background, too. It's on screen for like half a second, you know, just like he's got the ass shake and everything, man. He's, he's really dedicated. Yeah. I <laughs> loved it. Let's move on to the uh, opening credits. I was surprised when they went the animated Oh, route. it was Pleasantly so surprised. good. It was amazing. Oh, my God. Fantastic. <laughs> Just beautiful. You can tell there's some uh, YouTubes out there that compare the standard Stranger World Season 2 intro with the Lower Decks crossover ones. It is, like, pretty darn close. There are some things that are, like, very slightly different. But, yeah, very close. I was surprised. I was like, I thought that was a joke in and of itself. It was great. I would never go back and do the in-depth comparison, but it doesn't surprise me that that is spot-on one-to-one recreation. It is quite good. Yeah, just so beautiful. I do want to say one thing, though, going back to the animated versus live action. So in the beginning, we see the Cerritos pull up to the planet, right? And it is this absurd, ridiculous, like, only an animation planet right with the energy <laughs> right, with fields stuff in the atmosphere. and the weird mm-hmm. atmosphere and i'm like oh yeah. god you know like what is this going to look like in live action and it looks amazing in live action <laughs> it really was god it was they did such a fantastic <laughs> job translating everything totally not believable i'm like i have no idea how like they beam down in live action it's like this yeah calm yeah. surface while 
<laughs> how high up the planet is this roiling nightmare of swir- of flowing energy and you're just like not believable not believable <laughs> i know but it looks good uh how about the uh the space bug in the uh animated intro sequence i know fantastic <laughs> Did you notice that uh you know in that one shot where the space bug like pulls off the enterprise for some reason it it the like the lighting turns off so apparently it's canon it's only lit up when it's uh sucking on the nacelle i guess i didn't some notice kind of, that uh, sorry yeah i was just <laughs> too enthralled with the beauty of it all i just saying we learned a little bit more about space bug in this episode and i just hope we learn even more at some point uh, we even get the uh, koala there at the end very, uh, very highlighted. Strangely, <sighs> strangely highlighted, considering how much of a uh, back joke it is. Yeah, it effects. just it was not subtle enough. Like seeing the koala should have been like, oh shit, there's the koala. But like in this, there's no way you could miss it. Yeah, because you're staring at the uh, show logo at that point, so your eyes gonna wander. Makes and notice me sad. It. Well, not even that. It's just <laughs> like it's a very clear. It's just the outline. I don't know. It yeah. just it stands out way too much. You wish it was a little bit more subtle. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Which I get, yeah. Uh, there's one thing I, I noticed, I mean, we're, we're going to have to talk about this more off the air, but uh, in one of the sequences, you know, when the lights are turning on on the Enterprise in the, in the uh, beginning, there's the, I think the first shot, or one of the first shots of the lights turning on. In the animated version, it's like the red stripe on the hull, I think on the engineering hull, which you can see clearly in the live action, or I'm sorry, in the animation. Uh, but in the live action, you can't really see it. And I don't know if I need to, like, turn up the brightness on my monitor or something so I can see it. But I'm wondering if if it's a difference in the model of the uh, live action versus the animated version of the Enterprise that they used for the opening credits. It's definitely a difference. I don't think it really matters. I'm betting it's just a difference between the lighting where the animated and the CG is, I don't know, maybe it is different. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's hard to tell. Yeah. It's hard to tell because it is very dark. I think the it's there's more you can do with lighting and actual CG versus animation. It feels like because there are certain like subtle differences. Yeah. Well, and they were also definitely trying to recreate the lower deck style animation, and yeah, that really doesn't bode well or doesn't translate well to severe darkness. I guess is what yeah. I would say. That's one of those things. But still, overall, I thought it was a, a amazing, like the one-to-one accuracy for the most part. Actually, it's funny, the the shot where the space bug first uh, shows up, that's one of the shots. I know we're getting into like really detailed territory here, but the shot of the Enterprise kind of going through the clouds and the, you know, it's his first shot where the space bug shows up. It's actually much more of a close-up view in the animated version, I assume because they want to be able to see more detail on the actual space bug. Yeah, that is, that is that is more uh, detail than you needed to go into, dude. <laughs> How dare you? It's exactly <laughs> the right amount of detail. <sighs> Let's move on. I want to talk more about the fourth wall breakage because there is a shit ton of that in this episode. Is there? Did I yeah, miss this? It, absolutely. Let's see. Yeah. So the the just don't look uh, joke with where Boimler gets like caught up in the like cabling. I mean, that's not something that you would really see in a live action. Uh, but I don't thing. think that's, that's necessarily like fourth thing. wall because that is that's something true. that I loved. 
Because that is very much something that happens in the animated series, right? Yeah, um, that's what I mean. Like, that's something yeah. that happened in animation. I think we've actually seen that in Lower Decks, but I'm not 100% certain. So don't hold me yeah. to that. It, it seems like something that Boimler... In fact, do. cut me saying that out in case I'm wrong. Just just remove <laughs> it. I don't need the people telling me, well, um, actually... That's my job. <laughs> I, that I say, well, um, actually, people... <laughs> I mean, there's so much of this. There's the Mariner and Boimler talking on the shuttle about, and they mentioned how about how everyone on the Enterprise talks all slowly and quietly. Oh my god! Because yes. obviously, there's a difference there. Uh, fantastic, fantastic. We've actually talked about this before about the difference, <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I remember at one point we were talking about we were wondering if a part of that was a product of like episode length. When you have an hour-long episode, you can do so many more beauty shots. You can draw out conversations. You can do these long, subtle, ponderous exchanges. But when you have a half hour, every moment is at a premium. Yeah, absolutely. So you have to kind of get that dialogue out there. Which, you know, led to this great joke. So I'm okay (laughs) with that dichotomy. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, I'm just going to keep going down these fourth wall breaking jokes. Uh, there's another a scene where number one calls out Mariner and Boimler just making weird specific references to things. Yes, their references are oddly something. specific. <laughs> oddly specific, yes. That's another thing. There's the ending, one of the ending scenes where Ransom uh, kind of hits on uh, number one in, on Boimler's poster. And of course, we know in the real the real world that Jerry O'Connell is married to uh, Rebecca Romain, who plays... Uh, number one so okay so like i guess we know that (laughs) today i learned apparently yeah man (laughs) my jealousy of jerry o'connell grows i know that guy on the one hand i love that dude as a actor his career is fantastic on the other hand i really want to punch him in the face for being everything i'm not (laughs) absolutely um, and then finally, we've got uh, Mariner and Boimler's just constant, like, under their breath jokes. Like, oh, look, the ranks on the sleeves. Yeah. Oh, look, they've got the old timey communicator. Oh, do you think we're going to get stuck in the, the the dystopian San Francisco and hot young Spock? I mean, I don't know if you can really call these as fourth wall breakage, but I mean, it's it's in line with the lower decks, like, jokes style of, like, the Fast and Furious, like, uh, referential jokes. Yes, yes, that is that is 100%. Um, what's going on. Yeah, I you know what? I love those constant callbacks. And, like, there's even visual gags, too, right? I love when they're attempting to talk to P- Pike about his, yeah. like, you know, hey, you know, you don't know what's coming. You should spend time with the people you care about. And he's yeah. like, oh, I know what's coming. I've seen the future. And yeah. Mariner, like, pantomimes the chair and yeah. the facial scars. <laughs> And it's just like, oh my god! And it's so Mariner too, right? Yeah, like just absolutely. really well written. Um, Jack Quaid is really on point through the entire episode with being Boimler, but uh, okay. Tony does like a lot of really weird like hand movements that just kind of made me go. Oh, she's very hand active. Oh, she's very mm. hand active, which Mariner is in the 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 series right in the show but there is this scene and it just drives me batty where <laughs> Mar- they're talking about how- boimler's all like oh we're gonna have to go live off the grid and not affect history and mariner's yeah, all like i need the grid i need the grid yeah. i thrive on the grid 
And her hand <laughs> motions are just super awkward and bothered <laughs> me to no end. And I oh, no. I have no idea why. Um, you have some hand problems. Yeah, maybe. no, yeah, I mean, experience with the, I don't know yeah. what it is about the hand motion she's making. It just, it really bothered me. <laughs> and it's so absurd that I am bothered by it. I know that's a strange thing to be bothered by. It's funny. You liked the pantomiming of the, of the chair and the facial scars, but you didn't like the, whatever's going on in that scene. Apparently I like uh pantomiming of tragedy, but, uh, <laughs> hand motions are only okay when you're pantomiming. That's what I'm getting. Yes. That's, that's a hundred percent what it is. <laughs> I don't know. It just, oh, it really bothered me that scene so much. Let's talk about this show's homages to enterprise. Of which there are many. Okay, before we get into this, we have to make a yeah. tacit agreement. Yes. This is a show about Lower Decks. Um, yes. So, you know, we're not going to uh, derail into Enterprise. We're not no. going to talk about how much Maybe of a, a dick bit. everyone on that series was in the beginning. <laughs> At no point Maybe a little bit. will we break into a duet of Faith of the Heart as much as we want to. <laughs> there is not enough time for that. No, that'll extend our show by like three minutes or two minutes. You know what? We'll we'll do it someday. You and me, brother. <laughs> We're just gonna release it as a standalone episode. It'll it'll, it'll be great. It'll get five hits, and uh, two of them will be me. You know, I I appreciate you and, doing uh, that for we'll me, brother. I appreciate. Yeah. It. <laughs> but oh, yeah, God. but yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of enterprise in this. They. In the uh, cold open, they they reference it. Yes, it is the Chekhov's gun of this the episode. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my yeah. god, I was so blown away by that. I didn't think anything of it. I was just like, <laughs> oh neat, and an Enterprise reference. Although, did, did they really use whatever that substance was in Enterprise? And then lo and behold, yes, it's an important part of this episode. <laughs> so hang on. So why did they use it in the NX class? But it was such a rare material that there is no more left in the entire quadrant. Oh god damn it! They explained it Very in the confusing. episode, dude. You're supposed to remember things. <laughs> Do they though? I'm supposed to crack wise. Come on. I know. I'm just saying. It's a little. Uh, it's a little strange. I appreciate the uh, the the reference though. It's good. I, I also like the. They bring up the grappler, and apparently Laan is a big fan of the grappler, which I can totally understand. The grappler is really good. Get that early 2000s uh, CG, and apparently I don't know if you know. We haven't done an episode on the season four trailer yet. But there appears to be a grappler of some kind in the season four trailer. We're going to talk more about that in the future. Oh, well, I mean, better a grappler than a dupler, I guess. Is a dupler ever a good thing? Probably not. Anyway, we're talking about Enterprise right now. Uh, I mean, yeah, you're totally right. Turns out to be the Chekhov's gun. It's all over the place in this episode. I like how uh, Ortegas is, uh, yeah, I like Travis Mayweather. Yeah, and that is how, pilot. That is like, how wow. I know that Ortegas is a liar. Like... I, I somewhere down the line, it's going to be revealed that she lied about her background. And she is not who she claims to be. She's like a Klingon in disguise or some bullshit like that. Because nobody's a fan of Mayweather. He did nothing the entire series, even in the Mayweather episodes. He wasn't important. Ah, uh, he was. So, so much character potential. Hey man, he says uh, he says their high school's gym is named after him. So that's the level of of uh, fame that he has achieved. Uh, I know we said we weren't going to go into Enterprise, but 
<laughs> great character concept. Great actor cast to play the character who portrays it well. He's a dude who is very... He loves space. and he, he He's very like childlike in his demeanor in the beginning. And they do nothing with him. <sighs> so, We're not going to get into Enterprise, like you said. Oh, God. Yeah, thanks for stopping me, dude. You're so upset. This has been my TED Talk about Travis Mayweather. <laughs> there is a whole lot of Enterprise in this episode. To be honest, it doesn't get... I mean, Lower Duck's usually all about references. Not a lot of Enterprise references in there. I'm glad to start seeing the, uh, the Enterprise crew uh, talk about that in this episode. It was kind of refreshing in a way. Yeah, you know. I'd appreciate it. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll get more of that in the uh, future. I love the fact, though, that, like... So, Boimler and Mariner fanboy and fangirl about you know back to the tos era you know all the things in between and then we go back to the tos era and they're fanboy and fangirling over the enterprise era yeah that's good sadly still no zephram cochran references which is weird because (laughs) you're really looking forward to there was lots of drinking in this episode you think there would have been at least one, you know, knocks him back like Zeph from Cochran. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, should we talk about the, uh, let's talk about the drinking now. I mean, we're drinking hurricanes right now. And, uh, are we, you know, um, we, my, my glass is, uh, there's no Deloc. Well, there's I no mean, real Orion Deloc. My, my glass is empty. I got to refill one sec. C- continue on. I will be refilling over here. <laughs> uh, what was I going to say about this? I mean, they they work in the animated joke with the actual Orion Deloc. Are, are they just... Are, is the crew just going to be, like, poisoned at the beginning of the next episode? Or all recovering from hallucinogens? I, you know what? I don't know, but the, the scene made it all worthwhile. Just getting them all in, animated, uh, in animation was worth it. Yeah, I love the uh, Spock, my arm doesn't normally do this. His arm is doing the, like, rubber band snake thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. You know what's hilarious about uh, Boimler showing up in live action? He squeezes in the Boimler scream. Um, It's not quite as crazy as it is in uh, the animated show, but there there are definitely Boimler screams happen at least three different occasions. The ones I noted were when he's, he's like, he's picked up the pad in the lounge and uh, Nurse Chapel and Artigas kind of seek up on him and he screams. And then the second time in Spock's lab, when there's like the explosion, he screams in there. And when he's caught by La'an in the shuttlecraft later. Oh, so yeah. there's minimum of three Boimler screams in this episode. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and getting them snuck in. To be honest, if you kind of blink or if you're not paying attention, you kind of miss it. And I love that they found a way to get the animated, you know, the kind of the over-the-top animated screamy, kind of getting it to show up in a reasonable fashion in live action was pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty good. Although now I suddenly want to sidetrack here. So, <laughs> yes, one of the big you? things sidetrack. Really, really. <laughs> I am a hiker who goes where the trail leads me, my friend. <laughs> okay, <laughs> going where the Orion Hurricane leads you. Go ahead. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> so you know you mentioned the whole Boimler uh, getting approached by Chapel and um, yes. Ortegas. Is that the trope of like Boimler being strangely like women appealing? I don't. Is that, that I think appearing? you're reading too much into that scene. Okay. But okay. I think I, I like my whole thing is I'm taking it the other way, right? So there's that okay. scene 
And in that scene, they're like messing with the newbie, and yeah. you know they're they're they actually do references in that scene to the past, and then later right. we see Ohura and Ortegas make references to you know the NX era, and that makes me think that in lower decks it's just nonstop. They're talking about you know these inspirational figures from the past. And that's really what it is. Yeah. It's always played as like, for the audience, it's nostalgia bait, right? But yeah, for sure. the characters, it's them talking about these inspirational characters who, you know, as like they are emulating, they are inspired by. Those scenes in this episode makes me like, oh shit, Lower Decks is just a window into that part of the normal characters' lives. When they're not yeah. stuck in crazy, you know, high stakes, you know, missions. It's not the characters when they're at their career moment where they need to be serious and be serious officers. It's those scenes right. that happen in between. And it implies that this happens with everybody, right? And we see it mm. in like other series. There's always callbacks and references. But they're not nonstop sure. like they are in Lower Dorks. And in Lower Dorks, they're nonstop. Lower Decks. That's Lower Dorks is us. Remember? Wait. Oh right. Yes. Um <laughs> God man. In Lower Decks. That Orion that hurricane's really uh, getting Shit, to you. Yeah. Um <laughs> God. <laughs> in Lower Decks, those nonstop references are because there are people at the beginning of their career, right? They're Right. They're focused on, yeah, they're starting their career, they're doing things, but they, they want to be. Yeah, they're yeah. focused on what Which they, they want to be, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just, I really like that portrayal. I thought that was really a good, makes lower decks seem slightly ridiculous. <laughs> but just slightly, right? Like, it, it puts them into, into context, I think is what I think saying, we've established they... that I like the ridiculousness. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Let's talk about Pike's handling of Boimler. I don't know if you noticed, but there's like this recurring joke in this episode where Pike just thinks Boimler is completely out of his mind or ridiculous. And it starts really simply with the sickbay scene and Boimler waking up where Pike is just like, you know, uh, number one's just like, uh, oh, do you think you know something about me? And Pike's just like, uh, you know, uh, and then the scene just cuts to the next one. And then it goes from that to, I feel like I'm stopping a toddler from knocking over furniture. And then it goes to Boimler, like calling out Boimler, like, I told you not to talk to us about the future. And then and Boimler just keeps talking and he goes, you're doing it anyway. And <laughs> just keeps going. There's a, And then when Boimler and Mariner are on board and they're having a briefing, Pike just stops giving a shit. I don't think you realize this. Mariner was like, hey, I could help Lahur in linguistics. And Pike's like, you know what? Whatever. It just gets up and leaves in the middle of the briefing just because he's just had enough of their shit. Yeah. He's like, I've lost all control of my ship <laughs> to these future I people. I do like the fact, though, that like it's a theme throughout the episode where it's all like, they're from the future. They have this knowledge. Their decision making is based on, you know, this information. I should give them leeway. Right. And also, oh shit, now they're doing something ridiculous and they're completely disregarding any sort of temporal <laughs> sense here. 
And so there's that, that constant, like, back and forth of how to handle the situation. And that just constant swing into exasperation by Pike. Just Pike's, I mean, the acting is just so solid. It's, I mean, Frakes was, on, was I, I feel like Frakes was probably like, you know, you've just, you've had enough of his shit and you just need to, like, you're like a parent that's kind of give like you're parenting someone else's child for a minute. And you just need to, like, accept that they're going to be ridiculous. Like, that's how you need to act the scene. And Asimov was like, yes. <laughs> just went with it that way. Well, I mean, that that's how you always deal with other people's children. Because at the end of the day, you don't have to put up with the consequences of the that's, child being ridiculous. That's, right. that's all on yeah. their parents. Even at the end where Boimler is, like, going through the portal. I think when he's trying to go through the portal, and Pike's like, it's been a... Uh, and then the... You know, you think that would that gap we filled with it's been a pleasure, but he does not go that route. He's a, it's been a interesting experience. And you're just like <laughs> another yet another instance of Pike just thinking handling Boimler is like stopping the toddler from knocking over furniture. You know, going back to the the Poim, Poimler, <laughs> yes, the Poimler, yeah, Poimler <laughs> interactions, Pike and Boimler, yes. yeah. Oh my God, like. It's they're fantastic, and it's like moments where Boimler shows like his potential, especially when he gives the speech to Pike about like something so inconsequential, like the B plot of this episode, yeah. Pike's birthday party, and convincing yeah. him to go. Oh, it's so well delivered. And so Seriously. good. What a great I mean, that was a like a an anti um a counterpoint to the humor in this episode was the like surprising speech that Boimler makes to Pike about convincing him to appreciate uh you know his birthday party or whatever. And that, that was really solid. Yeah. I really I kinda teared up a little bit to be honest. I was like, he's right. And listen to him, Captain Pike. <laughs> yeah, whatever you freaking <laughs> softy. I don't even know what to call that. Man up, Jesus! I have feelings. <sighs> Clearly, you weren't beaten enough as a child. <laughs> um, don't beat your children, people. That was a Where joke. Where are we going with? Please this? don't beat your children. <laughs> children do not deserve to be beaten. But what I was going to say is now I don't You're even remember control. what I was going to say. No. Um, Where were you going with this? You know I think what? You need another. I stop with the hurricanes. Yeah. It's time to switch to water. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, but I mean, like, that scene is so well delivered, and yeah. there is this, like, moment where you can very much see it on Pike's face, right? Where he sees that potential. Yeah. And Boimler does that all throughout the series, or all throughout the episode, right? There is the moment where uh, he's convincing the captain to try and negotiate with the Orions based on what he knows, and that realization yeah. that, oh, despite my previous fantastic racism these are actually <laughs> orion scientists i don't know it's just it's such a fantastic moment and like boimler has has great one at the very very end when he discovers that mariner got the assignment because she knew he would love it right that moment of discovery and acceptance it's just it's really good like well put together and it's not just his like acting or his delivery the writing is good, the directing is good, the scene is well staged, um, it's well yeah. edited, I don't know, I'm just, I'm fanboying here. 
move on. <laughs> I wonder with the, I mean, because if Frakes directed this episode, I don't think he's directed any lower decks. So is he directing the animated portions too? I mean, I guess it's not like he could just offload those particular scenes. I mean, he could have leaned on someone that has more animated experience, but I guess, does he have animated experience now? Well, I mean, directing in animation is very different than directing in television. They yeah. don't even call it a director, right? If I wasn't so drunk, I could tell you what the process is because <laughs> I've actually read yeah. up on this. But, you know, I'm, uh... <laughs> I think they do have directors, don't they? How are you still so coherent? <laughs> you had a double and I had a single. What is going on here? I'm two slips away from uh, slurring my words. So. Okay. Let's see. Let's see. And we're going to look at this up on the air. I think they're I'm, I'm like 90 percent sure they're directors, but. Where were you going with this? I mean, so the, do you think he leaned on someone else to do the the direction, quote unquote? I think it's like the... everything we gush about Frakes as a director, but it's a collaborative effort, right? It's sure. There's directing, there's editing, there's acting, there's writing, and it all has to come together, you know. And it just yeah. did in this episode. Yeah, they have someone called directors, and according to Wikipedia, at least they do have directors on yeah. this episode, but I don't think. Frakes has done one. So, I mean, it's weird. Do you think this will lead to, and we're getting off track, which is fine, but do you think, we're, do you think Frakes is going to be like, you know what? I could fucking do directing lower decks. I'm going to do it. And we're going to get a Frakes directed episode in season four or five, maybe of lower decks. I don't care. <laughs> After all this gushing, you're like, I don't care. I just want quality episodes to keep coming out. <laughs> Can't argue with that. I don't care how that. the sausage is made. God, there's just so much like little weird one-off things in this episode. How about the one-liners? I mean, I talked before about how this is basically a comedy episode. And they've got like the little one-off jokes. Um, The ones that stood out to me, you guys look very realistic. That kind of edges on a fourth wall breakage. That is very true. But it also works (laughs) in the scene when he wakes up and he tries to end the program. Right. It's it's like kind of an extension of the same joke. Yes. Kind of. I also like the NCC 1701 dash nothing. And the follow up was like, what would come after the dash? And they're just like, I don't know. You know, that is just such fantastic writing. It is hilarious. Yeah. It is really good. Got some Trek knowledge in there, too. Um, and I also, one of my other favorites, the one liners, is, uh, you know, I can hear you. I'm standing right here. <laughs> and one was like, well, I thought the uh, distance, oh, yeah. you know. <laughs> you know, but here's the thing that happens all the time in Trek, right? There's somebody off to <laughs> yeah. the side having this quiet conversation. And you're like, there's yeah. like somebody like five feet from you. Like, can they not hear you? <laughs> but I don't know. Like, I've, I've worked in offices where they're like, you can have a quiet conversation. And unless the person's really straining to hear you, they're not going to understand what you're saying. So yeah. I kind of wonder. I don't know. It's a pretty funny call out, <laughs> but yeah, don't know how accurate it is. Yeah, I thought it, it kind of funnels into the whole like Pike thinking Boimler is just terrible. It's such ridiculous. I enjoyed that. Let's talk about other stuff. There's just so much about this episode. <laughs> just little one-off like things I thought about. How about the, I mean, I, I realized they wanted to kind of, you know, get the guest cast locked down a little bit to just the work War four. But I love how they send just the four ensigns down to check the powerful, but, you know, probably inactive time portal. Uh, you know, just put Nensen in charge. Everything's fine. Yeah. And they even talk about how, like, they were just going to send, you know, whoever to do it. Until Mariner <laughs> interfered. 
But you yeah. know what? I mean, like, it was dead. <laughs> All Everybody thought it was dead. So why yeah. is that surprising? Just nobody took holly camera photos and they just didn't realize how to activate it. I do I wonder, like, know. is this the first visit since Pike and his crew? Or have other people visited? Because I gotta believe there would mm. be, like, linguistic experts, there would be tech experts. But, you know, yeah. maybe it's one of those things where, like, uh, you know, temporal investigations is like, Oh, no, it's been translated as this is a time portal. It's off limits. You know, it's funny because they, you know, in the um, in the Enterprise episode, they, you know, they're, they've expended all of the fuel to activate the time portal. And then they find the component from the NX Enterprise. Yep. And they use that to activate the time portal again. But apparently they just like left it with enough fuel to activate again by the time that the Cerritos crew comes around or did some other person just come around and be like, you know what? I'm going to like add random heronium to the time portal, but then not activate it. But the thing is that's unlikely because in the episode, they say that heronium is super rare. Like it's just not something yeah. that's available. Yeah. So, so it's just left over from the NX component when yep. enterprise uh, put fuel in it. That's gotta be the, There's like, Oh, whatever. Goodbye. Yep. <laughs> We'll leave enough uh, enough fuel in there for one more thing, but I guess we'll just we'll just leave. Well, maybe they didn't know it had enough fuel. Maybe they didn't know uh, how much maybe. fuel it used. That could be it. They just they they sent the people back and they said, "Let's get the fuck out of here before they come back." But <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we we just talked about the camera a second ago. So first off, I have questions about why hollow cameras exist. But you know what? They were made Canon and Voyager, so I you know that's fine. Uh, one interesting thing about that is the viewfinder view. Uh, for the camera, there's a shot where uh, Rutherford is aiming the camera at Boimler, and it has his name and rank in it. And that reference is basically a reference that's taken straight from the how the viewfinder appears in Voyager. Kind of interesting that they just, you know, ripped it all wholesale, even though hollow cameras shouldn't really exist. Change my mind. Wait, uh, I mean, so like, what kind of camera should exist? <laughs> I don't know. Regular should TV cameras TV? exist? I mean, why would they not? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm really how do they lost preserve it? memories in the future? They should. It feels like there should be something 3D instead of cameras, like tricorders. Oh, you mean like a hollow camera? <laughs> so, is it a camera at that point? It's a camera. It's just taking a 3D image. So, like, <laughs> you you're like, oh, you remember that time we went to, you know, SETI Alpha Seven and visited the dunes, <laughs> and you're like, oh, right. I love that trip. Well, let's load it up in the holodeck, and it'll be like we're on vacation again. I feel like in the 24th century, there's going to be an equivalent of, like, gathering everyone to, like, look at your vacation slides. There's not an equivalent of that now. That died 30 years ago. Is that dead now? Now it's on social media. It's all social media, so you have a choice to walk away. That's true. I can only hope there's an equivalent of that in the uh, 24th century. Yes. Something else I noticed um, at the when Boimler shows up and number one calls the Enterprise, she refers to herself as number one. She says number one to Enterprise. So does she talk about herself in third person like that? Like shit. I think Pike calls her that. Would like other characters and even herself call her number one? Or has this happened other other places in Strange New Worlds? I'm going to assume yes, and I just never noticed. <laughs> they just call her number one. Yeah. Like Uhura's like, hey, number one. I like, feel like no, that that's probably not. 
I think it's more like in that. TNG where like the captain calls her number one and yeah. Yes. I mean, Riker would never refer to himself as number one. Uh, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like Riker would uh, probably refer to himself as number two and then snicker. Is that, is that where we're going with this episode right now? Is uh, toilet humor? Oh my god! Yeah, you know, I mean, we are <laughs> where we're at. I don't know what else to yeah. say. Oh, you know, we need, we do need to talk about that. We've talked about several times before recording this episode is the presence of the Setlick system. Um, so in this episode, there the Enterprise in the Strange New Worlds universe is carrying a grain shipment that is destined for Setlick Two, uh, but of course they trade it to the Orions. Um, but the Setlick system is kind of famous for its like off-screen mention yes. in Star Trek. It is a huge yeah. part of O'Brien's backstory. Mm-hmm. Setlick Three Massacre is a definitive moment in the uh, Cardassian Federation War, and I kind of love like there's that interaction um, where Boimler is talking about, well, I mean, is there more grain and no, there was never more grain. That was not an option. And right. he realizes that, oh, they're going to have to be like relocated at best. And I'm like, right. I'm wondering if in that moment, Setlick three. yeah, are they going to get relocated to Setlick 3? And now Boimler thinks he's responsible for the Setlick 3 massacre. I <laughs> I don't know if that was the intent they were going for, but I if it was, I mean, kudos. Like, that is such a, like, it's not even like a deep cut, but it is a great like moment where, yeah, it, it's the whole Wrath of Khan issue where Wrath of Khan is a great movie. You know, Khan has good motives and, you know, the the interactions between Khan and Kirk are fantastic. The story's good. But if you watch Space Seed, you're like, there's a deeper moment to this. Kirk made a yeah. promise to Khan and broke it. Kirk is kind of responsible. Yeah. And it's that yeah. same thing in this episode. If that's what they were going for, if you're a Star Trek fan, if you get the reference, if you're, you know, one of those people who likes DS9 a lot and or O'Brien as a character, there's that moment where you realize what Boimler is thinking here. Totally. Or maybe I'm just thinking too much into it. I don't know. <laughs> I think Miggly Mo is going to have his uh, calendar full. <laughs> I killed him, Miggly Mo! It's my fault! Silic <laughs> 3, I did it! <laughs> well, you got to think about this like an orange. You take the peel off and, uh, you know, insert food reference here. <laughs> just because you made the souffle doesn't mean the food poisoning was your fault. That's right. That that doesn't seem reasonable. Anyway, it's funny. It's funny because Setlick, the Setlick planets or system, have become this kind of go-to, like off, like never on-screen scene location where, like, if you need a thing to happen, then Setlick is the place to do it. I, I was looking at the memory alpha uh, entries for this, and it's shown up on computer displays in shows like uh, Picard, and I think Discovery as well. Um, just just to like show up in a in like a you know computer display or whatever it is, so it's kind of becoming like this weird like be you know like oh I need a system but I can't like we're not going to show it what should it be and they just like go to the setlick well yeah and then they just show that on screen because <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense 
But you know what? As long as we're talking about Setlick and we're talking yeah. about the uh, Cardassian War, which leads us into Cardassians. No, this isn't a stretch. Yes. So, when they're trying to decipher the text on the time portal, yes, which, you know, huge anticlimax. Yeah. Mariner says this it translates to this is a time portal. Yeah. But <laughs> when Uhura hands over the pad, she is reading mm-hmm. about Cardassian language and then Bajoran language. Yeah. Which the Cardassian right. language makes sense, right? There was a Cardassian living on Vulcan in, I think it's this era or the Enterprise era. I can't remember which, oh. but it's somewhere in that okay. time frame. So it makes sense that they okay. would know about Cardassia. And they'd probably even like met Cardassians as this, you know, distant empire, maybe. Right. But it seems weird that they would know about Bajorans. Mm. Everything points to Bajor, Bajor being a one-world non-spacefaring empire at this point. They did obviously have their, you know, tachyon light sail ships that, you know, got to Cardassia. But right. I don't think that was like a well-known thing. It wasn't like a well-published thing. It kind of just, uh, I feel like they just kind of squeeze it in there because it could make sense as like another species, you know, so why not? But yeah, I mean, we just don't have enough information, right? Like it's yeah. impossible to know exactly how much they, you know, the Federation knew about Bajor, apparently. I mean, it's canon now, I guess. They, you know, Federation knew that Bajor existed. For all we know, that you know, they've we've learned about Bajoran language secondhand. Yeah, it's entirely possible. Let's talk about log entries. It's funny because we just talked about the, recently in the comics where somebody's making a log entry via their com badge. I think Boimler briefly does the same thing in this episode. Did you notice where? Boimler's like in the briefing room, the captain's brief, uh, ready room slash briefing room. And he goes, you know, you know, Anton's log started the past. He must be making a, a uh, log entry via his comm badge. And we've only ever seen that in the comics. You know, and that actually makes sense. I feel like, you know, the comm badge has become like the catch all. Uh, I can even yeah. see it as being like the officer's black box. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, the more I think about it, the more it makes sense, right? It's it's weird because you've only ever seen them make captain's logs on their home ship, but I totally agree that the doing it via combat seems to make sense, right? It's like a little computer on your chest. Like, why not? Yeah. I mean, honestly, we're not that far. Uh, I mean, obviously, we don't have universal translators. We don't have satellite phones that, you know, are the size of microchips. But we're not that right. far from, you know, miniaturized computers now. I mean, like, yeah, like recording devices yeah. that can store huge chunks of audio, fingertip sized, you know? So yeah. what's the difference? Totally. It's just inter- it's just cool to see something that started in the comics get to live action like this. It's pretty neat. But speaking of that, in the same scene where Boiler literally says Riker as he swings his leg onto the saddle. <laughs> Apparently also yes. ad-libbed, by the way. Totally improvised, apparently, which... <laughs> good on him, man. Pretty amazing, yeah. Good for him for working that in there. I think it's uh, one of the funnier jokes in the episode, too. Ooh, how about the presence of try to try to kill Try to kill instead of quatr... I know, I love that. Fantastic callback. Little toss reference in there? 
Yeah, yeah, totally. That's something that you would see in Lower Decks, but it's made it over to the Strange New Worlds. Well, and they do a good job of doing it, too, right? Where they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. we got to deliver this, try to decay to this location. And that was the whole thing in TOS. It was grain. It was specifically engineered. One thing I wanted to mention is the time portal is apparently ancient Nausicaan, and... Does that make sense? <laughs> Nausicans in, you know, the whole, you know, TNG-ish era have been just like a kind of like a muscly enforcer type race that is yeah. there to kind of rough you up well, and step a card through the even, chest so he needs a new heart. And that's basically it. <laughs> even even in Enterprise, the Nausicans show up and they're nothing more than petty raiders. Like it, it's even implied right. that their technology is stolen. So it wouldn't be surprising <laughs> okay. if their language was stolen too, right? Because oh. she says it's it, you know, she got a Domjot table, but it wasn't Nausicaan, right. right? It was something older. So maybe they'll right. do something with that eventually. Like maybe we'll we'll meet the Nausicans and it'll turn out that oh yeah, their whole technology is stolen and their culture of thievery is because they were a failed species. That mm. is only surviving by taking from others. Yeah, I mean, what a uh, antithetical to the what we know of Noskins now. I mean, apparently, way back in the old days, they had enough tech to create a time portal, and nothing else is left of their ancient civilization. They're just basically just raiders now. So, yep, uh, kind of crazy to think about. You know what? And maybe, uh, maybe they were some great ancient civilization, and the temporal cold war doomed them to mediocrity <laughs> indeed yeah victim of the temporal cold war i like that <laughs> i don't it's terrible <laughs> let's talk about the engineering scene and by that i mean uh so boimler is feeling like he has uh lost all hope he and, Ma- and mariner are stuck there forever um he goes to engineering to seek some some respite at the warp core as is tradition for boimler he, uh, you know, historically has a, you know, he likes to go hang out by the warp core just to be, you know, <laughs> calmed by its strumming and whatnot. And there he has a conversation with Pelia, the new engineer for Strange New Worlds this season. And I have very mixed feelings about this conversation because she has a very, uh, she, she has this conversation, which the agenda of like, you've got to be, be what you want to be. You know, even if you don't feel like you're what you want to be, you got to be it until at one point you become that person or that person becomes you. And I have concerns because she's basically legitimizing uh, the notion of faking it until you make it. What are you talking about, dude? That is my (laughs) that is my ethos. That is my credo. I loved this scene. You know, I have seen too many people in the professional workplace that are faking it. Without the skill set required for their position. But she's not talking about skill set. She's talking about morality in this scene. She's uh, ta- That's true. Yeah. The, fake it till you make it where, you know, you're basically conning your way up a ladder. Yeah. No, yeah. that's that's a terrible message. That's not what she's talking about. But You think you she's know, doing it from a morality level only. Like, you should not, not apply level. her advice. But, like, it's it's not just morality. It's like... Confidence. Okay. It's doing the right thing. It's confidence. It's, okay. You know, we're all flawed people. Morality. But right. and this goes back to like a big theme of Star Trek is, you know, you're striving to be the best you can be. So you know, 
all of society is striving to be better. You know, we're chasing the angels of our better nature. And I love that because that is the message she is saying, right? It's not (laughs) fake it till you make it, con your way up the ladder. It's, you know, yeah, you aren't that person that you want to be, but just keep trying to be, you know, keep trying to be a better person. And at some point you'll realize you are a better person. Oh, you know what? You've made me feel better about the scene because when she is going on and I kind of interpret it as fake it till you make it, you know, I'm sure we have all seen in the workplace, just people that should not be in positions they should be because they're not qualified to be there, but they have kind of fooled the right people into thinking they should be there. And then if you're saying that's not this, she's kind of talking, you're saying she's kind of talking in a more, you know, personality or morality level. Yeah. I think I could see that. Like she's saying to Boimler that she, that he needs to do what he thinks is right. Yes, exactly. I'm fine with that. Yes. Great. Uh, You know, that takes us to the next scene where Boimler and Mariner are thinking about sending communications to the Orions in the enterprise shuttle bay. Um, I less want to think about that and more want to think about, we actually get to see in modern Trek how the shuttle bay of the Constitution class Enterprise looks. And it is surprisingly close to how we've seen the shuttle bay look in the original series and in the animated series. Which I mean to say, it's like this ginormous cavernous interior with like four shuttlecraft in it. Yes. And it's it's rare that we get to see this kind of interesting look at the interior of the ship quite a feat of cgi by the way if you look at that shot where it's this exterior shot of the enterprise where the shuttle bay doors are open and you can see inside pretty neat that that whole scene was was definitely well put together absolutely seeing shuttles taking off from the interior of the shuttle seeing the external shuttle bay shot seeing it just it was well put together that that's all i can say about it yeah totally it's interesting to see, like, how if you think about how it looks from the outside, how much of the star drive section is taken up by the shuttlecraft uh, or the shuttle bay in general. I do kind of wonder if the star drive section is supposed to be like the TMP star drive section, where hmm. the engine, or not the engine, the uh, antimatter reactor, right? That whole right. long column thing that you see in later series. That exists in right. the TMP Enterprise, and it runs right. the length of the neck. And I'm kind of wondering if it's supposed to be the same way in this series. Interesting. I don't know if they've really published any like internal schematics of the Strange New Worlds Enterprise, have they? Not that I know of, at least. Well, I mean, they've probably done the uh, MSD, and you know, we just didn't do research because <laughs> this lazy. is a Lord X show, after all. Yep. Yeah. It's it's crazy because it seems like at least half of that section of the ship is made up of just the shuttle bay from that exterior shot alone. So kind of interesting to, to see that show up. Beautiful scene, though. Loved the scene from beginning to end. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, totally. But from there, we get to, you know, after Boimler and Mariner are caught um, and they come up with the way of, you know, the solution, the Chekhov's gun with the NX Enterprise uh, solution. Boimler has prepared a, an apology limerick. And what the fuck is that, by the way? I am betting I, I that just... is Mariner fucking with him. <laughs> you just think you, you think he uh, she told him, like, 
hey, you need to come up with an apology limerick. And yeah, like that was the norm in this era. Trust staff. her. She, she's all about it. You know, though, as good as the scene is, the whole... Because the whole thing is, it's like, oh yeah, when they're building a new ship, they start with a piece of its predecessor. Right. And that predecessor is a weird little bottle thing. Like, how the fuck does that work? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, <laughs> yeah, what was you would that? Expect they it just to pull be it like, out with nothing going wrong. You would expect it to be like a beam or something, right? <laughs> but no, it's just it's a little bottle thing. Like, did they just like put that in space and then start building around it? And that's how it was the first part of the ship? Like, it makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> I feel like someone just does it, and they're like, they check a box, and their job is done. Yeah. Like, there's no way that was added beforehand. That had to be added. <laughs> there's that joke in there where Paley is like, don't do that to my floor. I need that. I want I just, like, that. That was oh. the one joke that, like, does not <laughs> does not land that well. No way. That joke is fantastic. What are <laughs> really? you talking about? Really? You like about? that one? Oh, my God. <laughs> I need that floor. Yeah, she's all like, I walk on it. It's great. I hope it <laughs> turns enough. into like a running gag that that one panel is just like squeaky from there on out. <laughs> it just squeaks whenever they walk on it now. And like, sound Pelly is always upset about it. It would be fantastic. <laughs> if you, you didn't have to rip up the floor, this floor would be quiet like it should be. Yes. Yeah, let's talk about the Ad, uh, Astra Peraspera. Uh, I don't want to talk kind about a poster this. thing. It's such a great callback. It's so well. It's done. so good. Oh. Yeah, that episode in Stranger Worlds so good. Um, it's interesting that even if you're quick to pause, like I am, and go frame by frame, you can see this poster show up in Boimler's locker in the uh, cold open. You can see it pop up there in the locker, and of course, you get the better look at it later in the episode. Fucking great, um, especially with the courtroom episode about this, where this shows up earlier in the. Stranger World season. What a fucking great inclusion. Man. And it is so fun. This is another part where I choked up a little bit. I thought it was really good. Okay, I didn't choke up because I'm not a little girl. But, <laughs> oh man, now I'm going to get canceled by the internet. Hey man, little girls are tough. You don't know. Anyways. Right. <laughs> no, it was such a great, like, it tells a story, right? Of, you know, yeah. Una is like, this is she's she's going to be kicked out and she gives us impassioned plea about what the federation is supposed to be all about and in the end she wins her court case but here's the thing even if she won her court case in her era there there's probably a lot of people that are have a lot of animosity towards her because of her background yeah. and because of that stigma sure. but yeah. because the federation is this you know it's this progressive nation that is always trying to do better yeah 150 years later, she is this icon of, you know, forgiveness and incorporation and, you know, understanding. And it's just, it's fantastic. It's so well put together. Yeah. I mean, we're kind of verging into talking about Stranger Worlds here, but what a great fucking episode that uh, courtroom drama was. And having it show up in the Stranger Worlds component is just so good. And that's it. Such a feel-good moment. It it was truly a crossover because it continues the story of Strange New Worlds. I will say, though, I'm not sure it's going to add much back into Lower Decks. But we'll see. Mm. What do you mean? Like having it show up as more Bormler's motivation or something? Well, you know, there was a lot of progression for the Strange New Worlds storyline in this episode. And a lot of good, like, references and resolution to things that happened previously. Uh, Turning points happen. But the question is... 
I mean, obviously we've seen they make a callback to the episode in the trailer, but is right. this episode actually going to have any effect on the characters or the storyline going forward? Yeah, in fact, I was going to talk about, let's talk about this now. Like, apparently, <laughs> according to the resolution of the episode in the Lower Deck style, they just didn't report any of the time travel shenanigans. They just didn't report it, and so no one cares? I don't know, because Mariner says they're not supposed to talk about it, so maybe they yeah. did get a visit from Temporal Investigation. <laughs> I feel like, by context, in the, you know, the Lower Deck style stuff towards the end of the episode, they just didn't report it, and, you know, like you said, in the Season 4 trailer, they're, they mentioned the, you know, oh, it's like that Pike thing we're not supposed to talk about, so they just didn't report it? I don't know. They just did, but it's a top secret. I think you're... Well, I think we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see indeed. I think I'm out of things. Is there anything that you noticed about this episode that we haven't talked about yet? Uh, you know what? I think we got everything except for one real problem I had with the episode. It is the greatest Oh, flaw. what problem is that? So we need to talk okay. about your boy Rutherford. Oh, what about him? Does he pronounce it Tachyons? <laughs> Tachyons, I noticed that. I don't think Not you tachyons. did. I think you just like glossed over and like, no, no, Rutherford's great. He wouldn't do something. <laughs> Rutherford like that. could do no wrong. So yes, if he's saying tachyons, then that's how it's pronounced. I, uh, you know what? I'm sticking with it. It just, I don't know why, but I just couldn't get past <laughs> that. It really was just like, really, really, Rutherford. Every time I see him from now on, is all I'm going to think is tachyons. Tachyons. Yeah, yeah. it's ugh, so much, so so terrible. He's got to so scan those tachyons so he can show them ah. to you know Billups. But you know what, though, I guess, uh, yeah, I, I, you know what, at least, you know, it wasn't animated characters interacting with live action characters. So, yeah. I mean, that's that's definitely a positive, but. Totally. Oh, shit. Does that mean it was enchanted all along? Oh, I think it could be. Fuck. <laughs> all right. I'm, I'm out of here before someone starts singing. So. Until next time, uh, follow us on, I don't know, what is it, X or Twitter now? It's X now. X, yeah. God. Well, I mean, I guess we'll let the courts figure it out. <laughs> but anyways, we're uh, at Lower Dorks. Or, you know, if you're not into the whole social media thing and you are so inclined, if you're listening from 150 years in the future, you can catch us next to the time portal behind Murphy's Pub. Doesn't that violate some temporal accords or... Some kind of agreement. I feel like I feel like I would not be stuck behind some bad Irish pub. It's it's twenty twenties, dude. There, there's no temporal agents to you know wag a finger at us. We're good. Oh, in that case, let's uh, have some Guinness. Yeah.